that I thought we were going to have to write off, but no, Bob Schmidt, your lifelong Cavs fan voice of Fox Sports Radio here celebrating a career first. Isaac Okoro. This is a cold open. The crackles. Give me the crackles. Oh, we need some gusts of wind. We need a, some winter music because Isaac Okoro has ice water in his veins as he rains threes. Three of them in this game alone. Three for four from outside the arc and corner threes were falling. In the first quarter, two of them. But the one that mattered the most came at the end of the game. When is this fucking win going to stop? I don't know. I probably should have edited these ahead of time. But I'm doing this quick. I got to fly in a day from now. I will be checking in on my flight probably moments after I stopped taping this podcast. This game had to be acknowledged because with two minutes and 13 seconds left, the Cavaliers trailed by eight points. It looked like the game was over. It looked like Joe Harris would be responsible for sinking the Cavaliers. Joe Harris and Mikael Bridges. But specifically in the fourth quarter, Joe Harris could not miss. He scored 12 points. He knocked down four three-pointers, and with two minutes left, an eight-point hole seemed insurmountable. But then the unthinkable, not so unthinkable in Cavalier country happened. Donovan Mitchell, Karis Levert, they started a comeback which Isaac Okoro would finish. And the way it finished was dramatic. Not only did the Cavaliers rip off a 12-2 run, and not only did it end on a corner three-pointer with .7 seconds left, but... We almost got to witness shades of the 71-point game as Donovan Mitchell got fouled, didn't get ruled for continuation, so he went to the free-throw line for two free-throws, hit one of them, missed the second, but managed to jump into the lane, get his own rebound. Might have been a slate lane violation, but nobody's ever going to call that. It was close. The ball was bouncing as his foot was going down. Either way, the point is he got the rebound, put up a shot, missed that, managed to get a second rebound, threw that up wildly, missed that. But then the ball, which seemed to be in the clutches of the Nets, Nick Claxton, Spencer Dinwiddie, Royce O'Neal, all gathered around it, but they managed to lose the ball. Karis Levert scooped it up behind the three-point line, dribbled into an angle that gave him a view of Isaac Okoro, spotted up in the left corner, all alone, he delivered a dime, and Isaac Okoro did what we have all been waiting for him to do since the day that he was drafted, hit your threes. 
keep the defenses honest. And tonight, three for four from outside the arc and a slash to the rim when they tried to close out. Make them pay, Isaac. Make them pay. So let's do this, Fro fans. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you to everybody who has subscribed. But now it is time for a new episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Hit the open. And I'm, I'm telling myself that because... As you probably realize by now, I'm my own producer. Oh, two hands. That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Good. Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the podcast, Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio. We've been over this. Let's get to the game. This was a game I was prepared to drop it because the Cavaliers... They're four and a half games up on the Knicks. Early part of this game, the Knicks dropped one to the Orlando Magic. Again, we're supposed to be scared of them. I've been told that they might be a favorite if we play them in the first round. Everybody says, oh, yes, the Cavs, they could fall to the Knicks. Well, now the Knicks have lost three in a row. Let's see how firm those predictions hold. If there's one annoying fucking thing about the end of the season, it's that when we see win streaks, they matter if it's a, a team that people decide it matters for. Like the Knicks, they go on a win streak before they lost their three most recent games, including tonight to the Orlando Magic, third worst team in the Eastern Conference. But before this, it was, well, Jalen Brunson has far exceeded what everybody expected of him, and they won eight or nine in a row at one point, and they climbed up to fifth, and who knows, maybe they'll even be able to get up above the Cavaliers. Well, that didn't happen. It's definitely not going to happen now. But do you think in the short time that remains, the seven games left for the Cavaliers, that that narrative will shift and people will start to decide that the Cavaliers, at a minimum, exist on their own tier, below the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Sixers, but above those other teams? No, they are firmly clumped as interchangeable with the Knicks and the Heat. And here, here's some audio to demonstrate that. This was from the Low Post today. This is an enraging audio by any means. I'm not saying it's not a reasonable take by Jeff Van Gundy, but I want you to keep in mind how quickly we elevated the Knicks and the Lakers and Austin Reeves, for example. But when the Cavaliers do stuff like this, it would take Isaac Okoro hitting 12 game-winning three-pointers before people even acknowledged that he's a reasonably efficient three-point shooter. The numbers are irrelevant. So many times with the Cavaliers this season, the numbers are irrelevant. And the same can be true with Isaac Okoro because we've seen his three-point percentage this season is pretty solid. It's his best of his three-year NBA career, 36% from three-point land. But how does it get qualified? Well, his sample is just too low, so we don't believe it. When will people believe something that the Cavaliers put on paper when will it happen might not van gundy audio i'm gonna hit that people will say like it's being disrespectful to cleveland and it's not cleveland's had a incredible year like really a great year and they've got a tremendous starting lineup but they have a little bit of inexperience as far as in their main guys mitchell uh, notwithstanding and i think new york or miami whoever comes in fifth could push cleveland into a very good series. I don't think any of those teams that you mentioned has a chance in hell of beating the top three. I just would like the Cavaliers in some discourse, whether it's 
All-NBA with Donovan Mitchell, whether it's Defensive Player of the Year with Evan Mobley, whether it's Greatest Three-Point Shooter of All Time with Isaac Okoro, or whether it's just a legitimate team that could perhaps make some noise in the playoffs. I just want them in one of those conversations based off the very real quantifiable results in the standing sheet where it looks like they will eclipse 50 wins fairly easily, the net rating, the point differential, the record against good teams. All those things, the best defense in the NBA, none of them matter, though, apparently, because our team is young. It's fucking ageist is what it is, and it disgusts me. God forbid a 22-year-old ripped the hearts out of a bunch of grown men in Brooklyn. He did it tonight. Does that not count for anything? Well, this is the same young team that keeps winning in overtime, 7-0. and This is the same young team that continues to win on the road. Now they have won five of their last six road games. This is the best stretch that they've had. And since the turn of the new year, they have now twice had four wins in five games. They did it at the end of January during that seven-stretch, seven-game win streak that they had there. And then they've done it again now. And don't look now, but they have now climbed their way into a pretty favorable road record. We are nearly 500 on the road after tonight. Five full games in front of the Knicks Six and a half full games in front of the Miami Heat. Now, the Heat, because of this Brooklyn Nets loss, they have passed the Nets. The Nets are now in the play-in portion. And if you listened to the pod with Mike Smeltz, you heard he was lacking in confidence that if the Brooklyn Nets end up in the play-in, that they will even end up in the playoffs. He's So apparently, he's expecting a couple of losses if they get there. Now, I think he was just you know, being a little bit exaggerative because clearly this Nets team is not the one that ripped off 12 wins in December. But with the Heat climbing up to the sixth seed and only being a game and a half behind the Knicks with a chance to play them on the horizon, the Knicks and Heat square off uh, Wednesday, March 29th. So they play next Wednesday. Now the Knicks' next three games, one of them is very winnable. Monday they take on the Rockets, but then they will battle the Heat in a game which will be very important in terms of who's going to end up with the fifth seed. And then the Knicks come to the Cavaliers next Friday. The Cavaliers may be in a situation where they can basically handpick their opponent depending on what plays out. And I don't know how you would feel as Cavalier fans in terms of would you rather take on the Knicks or the Heat? But I'll say this, I want the Knicks. And I don't think I'm a prisoner of the moment because they've lost three in a row. One, their fan base is arrogant. Two, Miami Heat defense is very problematic and physical and good, and I just don't like taking on that team. They have veterans who I trust when it comes to crunch time, specifically Jimmy Butler. Taking on these teams where guys can live at the line and do it fairly equitably. And I know what you're saying. I throw around the term free throw merchant, or at least in my head. I don't always say it on the podcast, but I think you can kind of read between the lines. There's a few guys who I think get a little bit too favorable of a whistle. Of course, there's the Trey Young, there's the James Harden, there's Joel Embiid, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is falling into that for me, and Jimmy Butler lives at the line against us. Jimmy Butler is the one I find the most respectable because that dude plays hard as hell, and he's physical. He's not some flopper. He's just very smart and adept and crafty as a veteran, and that is not a player I want to take on. The only saving grace to playing the Heat would be that we would get to see Kevin Love out there, who has struggled somewhat with the Heat, but I don't care. I've moved on from him in the sense that that is old news to me. The Knicks, I need the people on national television who are out here touting them as somehow being better than our team to shut the fuck up. The people who said things like this. 
<laughs> I would not want Brunson and Mitchell as my backcourt. People who said things like this. You know, I think I think a, a Brunson and Barrett is a better combination. Not, not I mean, obviously Mitchell's better than Barrett, but just you, you we don't it's too redundant to have Brunson and Mitchell. And Brunson's been absolutely amazing for the Knicks. And people who said this. I think I think that um Mitchell not being on the Knicks was a win-win for both the Cavs and the Knicks. This has to happen. Cavs fans. And I know I'm all about running from the fight. I'm a complete coward. I'm one of those people who will talk a bunch of shit on a podcast, but I would suck any one of these guys' dicks to get on a platform as large as the Lopo. So, David Jacoby, I apologize that I'm a but that audio, it's not, it's not you that upset me. It's the take. And it's the fact that those things, when I hear them, they don't get pushback on these national platforms. There is one man who I heard Rally for the Cavaliers. Kind of two men. But I'm going to give credit to the guy who said it first. And that's Andrew Schlecht of The Athletic, who on the Game Theory podcast had the following to say. This, if you want to hear the episode, it's the March 22nd episode. And Andrew Schlecht, at number four on his list of NBA title contenders, said the following. I've got the Cleveland Cavaliers here. (laughs) I would ask this question. I got yelled at. By Cavs fans, last time I talked about them as a potential title contender. Uh Uh-huh. Just breaking in here to say that if you're one of the Cavs fans who yelled at Sam for giving our team credit, well, then you're part of the fucking problem. Stop that. You may want to diminish expectations within our own community because certainly we're probably thinking our guys are better than they actually are, myself included, perhaps. But when these national guys want to say nice things about us, let it happen. If you're at work watching March Madness, and your boss comes by and he compliments you on what a great job you're doing lately. Do you say, actually, I just want you to know that I'm completely unproductive on Thursdays and Fridays during the month of March, and while you think I'm working, I'm just smarter than you with technology, and I am wasting company time on your dime. Do you do that? No, you don't, because that would be fucking stupid. And this is the same, basically. So anyway, Andrew Schlecht, please continue. What else do they have to do? This season, they're first in defense. They're first in net rating. What else do they honestly have to do to make us think that they're title contenders? Donovan Mitchell is a bona fide star in the playoffs. Ridiculous interior defense. I don't think that they can beat. Like, I just don't know. I I probably need to have Boston ahead of them because I'm not sure that they could beat Boston. I think if they got matched up with Philly, it would be really interesting I just think that this team deserves a little bit more respect than they get. A lot of people just completely dismiss them. They throw them to the side and then they elevate teams like the Clippers. Bravo. Bravo, Mr. Schleck. Speaking truth to power or speaking just truth in general. I don't know about truth to power, but it's nice to have somebody. And look at that. What did it take? It took a man who lives in Oklahoma City. Just a humble, grassroots, salt of the earth type of guy like Andrew. And see, he didn't even, he wasn't even excessive in his Cavs praise. He just said, I I don't think we should overlook all these things. And he didn't separate them from Philadelphia. Why is Philadelphia on this other level? We act like Joel Embiid has had massive amounts of success in the playoffs or that James Harden has. I think there's just as much reason to question if their luck with the whistles and style of offense that we see with how games are officiated in the regular season, if that is transferable to the playoffs. Just as much as you're going to ask if all of a sudden, because these guys are 22, 23, 24, if when they get to the playoffs, they'll just immediately shit all over themselves. 
But that's enough of Martyr Bob. If I die on this plane flight that I have tomorrow, I don't want people to remember my final contribution to the world creatively to be that I called Andrew Slecht a golden god and attacked David Jacoby. I don't want that to be my legacy. So let's talk about the game that we witnessed tonight. Now, the big story of the game will be Isaac Okoro, but the consistent story over the whole course of the game, that would be Evan Mobley, who put together one of his most complete performances. And the numbers speak for themselves. 26 points, 16 rebounds, four blocks, three assists. And this is the most... Maybe not the most impressive part, but this is incredibly impressive. 26 and 16 on 18 shots without a single turnover. Evan Mobley was aggressive in attacking Nick Claxton late in that game. He was aggressive in absolutely cooking Dayron Sharp throughout the game. As much as I praise Dayron Sharp, and he is a very good rebounder, he made a lot of defensive mistakes in that second quarter, which allowed Evan Mobley to put buckets in. After a very quiet first quarter in which the man scored just two points, he scored 10 of the first 12 points in the second quarter and went a perfect five for five from the floor. Now, this wasn't just flush dunks on alley-oops. This was calling for the ball late in the fourth quarter, putting his shoulder into Nick Claxton, driving him to the circle and hitting hooks over top of him. This was blocking Nick Claxton twice in the fourth quarter, shutting the water off on him. Now, Jared Allen did big work on Claxton in the first half, but at the end of the game, for a guy who leads the league in field goal percentage to be held for four for 10, that's a pretty successful night for the Cleveland Cavaliers' front line in terms of how they defended him. One of the cool stats that they pointed out on the broadcast was that Evan Mobley has the highest fourth quarter field goal percentage in the entire NBA. Now, I had looked up this stat or something similar and saw that Rudy Gobert is actually a full 10% better, but I guess he doesn't qualify because he's only played 56 games as of tonight. I don't know what the low bar is for Rudy Gobert, but Evan Mobley, 60% from the floor in the fourth quarter. The people that trail behind him, Bam Adebayo, Anthony Davis, Giannis, who's shooting 54% in the fourth quarter. That's a very impressive number. And while I, since I have the numbers up, let me just look. In the second quarter, Evan Mobley against these Brooklyn Nets has been a terror in the second quarter. The first game, he had 13 points. Tonight, he was a perfect 5 for 5 with 10 of the first 12 points. So I would imagine he is, no, okay, no. I thought he would be leading the NBA in field goal percentage in the second quarter if I reduced the sample to the last two games. But he is, in fact, second to De'Aaron Fox, who has scored... 21 points and gone 6 for 7 from the floor, whereas Evan Mobley has gone 11 of 13 and scored 23 points. So, still very impressive. 84.6% from the floor. That is magical. Now, what wasn't magical was the Brooklyn Nets' outside shooting tonight. They could not hit from outside the arc. Dorian Finney-Smith on the night, 0 for 6, 0 for 4 from outside the arc. Cameron Johnson missed all of his shots in the first half. He finished the game with just five points on one for six from the floor. Those two guys are expected to knock down some threes, and they were a combined one for eight tonight. And Mikhail Bridges, for as dominant as he was, a mid-range monster in that third quarter, we got to see a lot of what was Bridges smoking guys in the mid-range. He even caught a fumbled pass by Spencer Dinwiddie. He came across and scooped up the loose ball, buried a mid-range there, and that was the quarter where he really asserted himself, scoring 16 points in the third 
with zero turnovers on his way to 32 points and six rebounds. Mikael Bridges, that makes eight 30-point games since joining the Nets. He is exploding. Led the Nets in free throw attempts tonight. Is long enough to get his shot over anyone. I thought Okoro did pretty well, honestly. But if you look at those stats at the end of the night, you'd say, well, for fuck's sake, what happened? He did lead the Nets team, though in negative plus minus, a minus 14 on the evening for the Nets tonight. Now, for the Cavaliers, their three-point shooting was beautiful. The first quarter, we got to see three-point makes from Levert, two from Okoro, one from Donovan Mitchell and Stevens, all of those in the corner, five corner threes for the Cavaliers in the first quarter, and still, despite leading turnovers, shooting far better from three at halftime, The Nets were four from 16 from three-point range. And yet still, they led the game by two points. Then the Cavaliers come out in the third quarter, and the fro goes to work. Five offensive rebounds in that quarter. Six points, eight rebounds total. That was offset by a dud of a third from Darius Garland, who had his worst quarter of the game, 0 for 4, three turnovers. His stat line tonight was... He did have eight assists and 13 points, but considering the game that we got out of Donovan Mitchell, where he gave us 31 points, it wasn't as aggressive as we've typically seen Garland. But the fortunate part is that Evan Mobley filled that void to the point where it almost didn't matter. And Jared Allen's third quarter paced the way for him to head to yet another double-double, 12-10 and with five offensive rebounds. So those 10 offensive rebounds for the Cavaliers proved to be big as they won that battle after a game in the first game in which the Cavaliers lost the rebounding battle and gave up nearly double-digit offensive rebounds just to De'Ron Sharp. So the fourth quarter hits. The Cavaliers are down by six. By the time we get to the two-minute mark, thanks largely to Joe Harris deciding to all of a sudden hit four three-pointers in the fourth quarter, former Cavalier Benedict Arnold backstabbing son of a bitch doing this to the team that brought him into the league. I am glad Virginia flamed out in the NCAA tournament because he had me basically resigning myself to the fact that the game was over. Two minutes left, two minutes and change, an eight-point deficit. But from there, Karis Levert showed up. He got a he drove to the rim, got a foul on Claxton, and then An incredibly impressive defensive play right after going to the free throw line and knocking down those buckets. Mikhail Bridges drives towards the rim, gets shut off, and tries to kind of curl around and throw the ball back out to Joe Harris. But Levert saw it seconds before it even developed. He started running from the right side of the court, anticipating what Bridges was going to try to do, and he jumped the passing lane, stole the ball, and went coast to coast. And after that little spurt to cut it to four, Donovan Mitchell took over. He scored the next five points. Levert got yet another steal with 13 seconds left. And and that I put more on Finney Smith for throwing a heater as he was falling out of bounds. Levert was the one who scooped it up. But he pushed the pace, got out in front, and Donovan Mitchell put Dinwiddie in a situation where he had to foul. And that led us to that final insane sequence of missing a free throw, getting the rebound. You know how it all played out. So the Cavs win, and to a couple of the other guys. Osmond had a pretty quiet night, statistically speaking, but there was one stretch where he and Evan had some good basketball playing off one another that I really enjoyed. On one play, Osmond was running the baseline to curl around for a elbow three, and Mobley just 
set enough of a screen. He didn't really even have to do much. Just put his body in the way to slow the defender who was chasing down, and it gave Osman a clean look. Then, the very next time down the court, they reversed the action, and instead of curling out for the three, Osman ran up, set a back screen on Evan Mobley's defender, and he broke free for a flush alley-oop dunk. It was awesome. And I forgot to play this earlier, but you should hear JB's comments about Evan Mobley tonight. We relied on Evan Mobley in that fourth quarter. So you talk about growth, you talk about you know development, impact on winning. Uh, Evan Mobley was a dominant force on both sides of the floor in the fourth quarter. Um, again, a guy who you know doesn't get a lot of post touches, um, but got the ball tonight in his spot and went to work when he wasn't finishing. You know he was sharing and creating. Uh, he was blocking shots when he wasn't blocking them. He was going to get the rebound to help us finish possessions. So we don't win that game uh, if Evan Mobley doesn't have uh, the performance that he did tonight. I think it's a great sign that Evan Mobley's highest scoring fourth quarters, all five of his highest scoring fourth quarters this season, have come since February 15th, that game against Philadelphia. Since then, his output has increased. And if anything, I think it makes a lot of us feel like, okay, Maybe it's not all going to be on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders because certainly those five points he ripped off at the end there, they were big. But it wasn't just him. It was him, it was Levert, and it was Mobley throughout the course of the game keeping them in that thing. And then in the fourth quarter, chipping in eight points of his own. So it's a fantastic sign for what lies ahead. And hopefully it will change some people's perceptions over what we can do in the postseason because it may not just be Donovan Mitchell, proven playoff performer. And if Mobley plays anything close to his recent stretch of games, he is going to raise his profile significantly. Just in these last five games, a nearly 22% usage rate. So things are on the upswing. The attempts he's getting have increased. He's shooting 14 times a game during this little stretch here. Is averaging 20 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists. It is a great sign. And pair that with whatever residual effect we hopefully get from Okoro. Seeing his hard work pay dividends here. 45 degrees, 45 degrees, 45 degrees, splash. And, just to, so it doesn't go unacknowledged, Jetty Osmond, two games in a row now with a block. If we play the Nets every time, this man would be the defensive player of the year, second only to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. I guess that would make him third. I'm not great at math. What I do know is that I have a flight coming up very quickly. I've got to check in here. But I wanted to do this podcast because... If I'm going to acknowledge the Lamar Stevens game against the Celtics, I have to pay homage to a man who fought through an 0 of 12 start from beyond the arc to begin this season, 12 games without making a single three-point attempt, and then to have this, a huge, miraculous, took a bunch of other luck, including loose ball scrambles and no lane violations, but he got the opportunity, he got the attempt, and he knocked it down, and there couldn't be a guy I'm happier for than Isaac Okoro, because he's put in the work. And what was the most satisfying moment of his short three years here in the NBA? So thank you to everyone who joined me for the Fear the Fro podcast. Couple of things I want to point out. Double-double for the Fro, his 31st of the season. He's just one away from tying his career high. Meanwhile, one of the priority three-point wings on the market this summer, Cam Johnson, may get $25 million based off what Mike Smeltz told me on the last podcast, and he was a total turd tonight. Buyer beware. Thank you. I'm Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio. Rate the podcast, leave a review, and if nothing else, appreciate 
this path to 50 wins because next up we get the Rockets who feature a Jabari Smith who's playing very well as of late. My One of my favorite things to do is slander the Rockets, but that man had a game winner. He had a 30-point game. He's shooting nearly 40% from outside the arc this month. I hope you're ready for some far too optimistic Rockets fans telling you that he's going to be better than Evan Mobley because that's coming. I leave you with the Isaac Okoro Ice Cube remake. I didn't really go very far in stretching out my creative possibilities. I said, Ice, hey, what about Ice Cube? And then we ended up with this. Thank you for joining the pod yet again. I love you all. Yeah. Coro steal the show. Cavalier fans ride the ride the ride. Till Ice make the Nats fans die inside. Iceman gonna take that shot. Brooklyn got got from that sweet corner spot. Yes! Game starts, the man is clearly balling. All over a Coro shots are falling. D up, the man was rim running. And if you leave him, corner three start gunning. JB said it, man fears nothing. Give him a lane and he'll throw that stuff in. Bridges ass like, leave me alone. Hit that shot like Brooklyn go home. Bye. Joe Harris must feel so shitty. All those threes and we're still sitting pretty. Fourth seed, we got that unlocked. I'm a Vin Lee, Ben, arm back, hammer cocked. Did I mention the Knicks? Cam Johnson building a wall with them bricks. Think we easy, New York's gonna see. Mobley so good, didn't need DG. Swear them shoulders, set your toes. Perfect arc as you let it go. Finish the comeback, steal the show. Isocoro about to blow. Let's go. We always laugh, but like Isaac doesn't play the game with any emotion or any fears. Uh, there's no reservations in his game. Um, you know, he works his tail off on that shot, and he does not have fear of taking shots in the moment. has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.